the reading this morning is the book of 3 John. That can be found on page 1230 of the Church Bibles. That's 3 John, beginning at verse 1. The Elder, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honours God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought therefore to show hospitality to such people, so that we may work together for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen good, not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone, and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Penny, thank you so much for reading uh, that passage to us. Let's pray, shall we, as we start. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. And we pray that as we look at these verses together now, that you would speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a little riddle for you as we begin. What do these three things have in common? Falling in love, riding a tandem, and dancing a waltz. What do these three things have in common? Riding a tandem, falling in love, dancing a waltz. Well, I should think you can probably work it out. They're not supposed to be done alone, are they? You're supposed to do them with somebody else. It would be very difficult to dance a waltz on your own, for example. Well, let me add a fourth thing to the list this morning as we look at these verses uh, from 3 John. And that is this, living the Christian life. Being a Christian. It's not meant to be done alone. And John, the writer of this little note, this no-frills postcard of a Bible book, isn't it, agrees 100%. Because the person John was writing to, Gaius, you see that in verse 1, to my dear friend Gaius, is nothing else if not a great personal friend. And the book of 3 John is helpfully themed around three individuals, isn't it? Gaius, in the first eight verses, which we're just going to look at today, and then two Ds, Demetrius and Diotrephes. Okay, you can practice those names before next week. And we'll look at them next time. 
next week. But we're just going to look at the first eight verses at this dear friend, Gaius. And as we look at it, I want us to consider what John writes here to Gaius as like a, a snapshot of Christian friendship. And there's two ways, I'll say at the outset, that we could broadly apply what we're going to look at this morning. And that is this. Uh, for everyone here, perhaps especially those who, uh, of you who are teenagers and you're just figuring out your friendships in the world, working out what they look like. Well, the, the two ways we could apply what we look at in these verses are these. Do you have friends like these, like the friend that Gaius is to John and John is to Gaius? And secondly, are you a friend like this? Do you have friends like this? And are you a friend like this? Okay, two questions which we'll come back to as we look at this theme of friendship as we look at these first eight verses of 3 John, I'd love you to have it open in front of us because we're going to see a few things that makes their friendship particularly special. And the first is this. There is real genuine warmth. There is real genuine warmth. We don't know who Gaius is. But what is clear is this, that there is a real genuine warmth of relationship and friendship between these two men, between John, who writes to him, and Gaius. See with me four clues Okay, four clues in the verses that we read, verses 1 to 8. And the first is this, that the name that John calls Gaius. Because what you call somebody shows your relationship with them, doesn't it? I doubt many of us who are married return home after work and say, good evening, mom, or good evening, sir, to the person when we walk in through, to our spouse when we walk through the door. Uh, nor are we likely to call the teacher or the police officer or even worse, the border force official checking your passports when you come back from holiday this summer, mate or fella. Yeah, you're just not likely to do it, are you? Well, look how John addresses his friend, Gaius. Verse 1, to my dear friend, Gaius. And again in verse 5, dear friend. Presumably, he also speaks to him as though he were a child, his own child in verse 4. There's that strength of relationship between them, that real deep family love, a close relationship of warmth. In fact, the, the word dear friend, it might be translated if you have a different translation in front of you, beloved, beloved. So it has that sense of a, of a bromance, if I can use that word, a real bromance. These are two men and they love each other deeply, not sexual or romantic, but deep friendship love. They love each other. It's hammered home, isn't it, in that verse, in verse 1 again. To my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, beloved, whom I love. It might interest you to know that that uh, phrase, that, that word love, obviously comes lots of times in the New Testament. But there's only a few times in the New Testament where uh, the writers say, I love you, like that. I love you. There's only five times in the New Testament, in fact. And here John uses it. I love you. Whom I love. I love in the truth. Love, real deep warmth, the brotherly love of a friend for another friend. That's the first clue, isn't it? The depth of their friendship together. And the second is this, that John has for Gaius a whole-of-life concern. We might call it a holistic concern, which means the whole of Gaius's life he's concerned about, and he cares about it. See, in verse 2, he says this, Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health, and that all may go well with you, just as you are progressing spiritually. Now, in the world out there, people say, don't they, oh, I wish this, or I hope you have a good holiday. Well, the Christian uh, way of saying that, it's not, just, it's not just to say, I pray, I pray. It's not just like a vague wish or a hope. No, when we say we're praying for somebody, we're praying for the whole of that person. 
and we're lifting them up to the God who made them. And so John says he's praying for Gaius, praying for the whole of Gaius' life, that he may enjoy good health, literally that he may prosper, that he may do well in everything he does, that everything goes well with him, even as his soul is getting along well. And it's more, isn't it, than a wish or a hope, because John prays to the God who made Gaius and who knows him intimately. And he assures him of his earnest desire and prayer that everything might go well with him, health and work and family, and yes, of course, his soul and his spiritual life too. A whole of life concern. Sometimes I ask Christian parents about their children. Uh, say, how are they getting on? Maybe they're off at university, haven't seen them for a while. Well, you know, what's going on with them? How are they doing? And uh, that parent might say, oh, yes, uh, so-and-so is doing this or that, uh, but really I know you're asking about their spiritual life, and sadly they're nowhere with Jesus. And when someone says that, I'm genuinely torn. What should I say? Maybe they're saying that to me because I'm a minister and they think I should say talk about it. I don't know. I mean, I appreciate their awareness of the importance of their child's spiritual life. But I'm concerned that they, don't, they, they think I don't care about the rest of their child's life. Because I do. And I should. Because here is a whole of life concern from John to Gaius. A sign of genuine Christian warmth, a concern for the body and the soul, stuff and spirituality, the whole person, he cares for him. Thirdly, see a desire, third clue in this, of this warmth is that John has a real desire to see Gaius, doesn't he? And we're actually going to skip forward to the very end of the letter here, cheating a little bit, verse 14. We're not sticking to verses 1 to 8 only, just verse 14. Let, look at that there. He says this, going back to Gaius, I hope to see you guys soon and we will talk face to face. He wants to see his friend, Gaius. It would be easy to miss out that little phrase, wouldn't it? Face to face. But isn't that the mark of true friendship? An earnest desire to see somebody in their entirety, face to face, in person. There's something very intangible about the benefit of it, isn't it? We can't quite touch it. Why is it so special? Why is in person better than FaceTime? We're not quite sure, but it is. It is. It's better. And as all too recent history has taught us, when it goes, many suffer and still are suffering from that enforced absence of face-to-face -face personal relationships and community in lockdown. Because we need face-to-face. -face. And John here says, I earnestly want to see you face-to-face. -face. I long to see you. Fourth clue, emotional connection. I mean, as if we didn't have enough clues of the Christian warmth between these two men, see how the report of Gaius' life has made John feel. John tells us how he feels. Did you see that? He feels great joy in verse 3. It gave me great joy, he says, when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. He has great joy when he hears of Gaius because he's faithful. He's faithful to the truth, and he walks in it. Indeed, John says, doesn't he? He go, kind of goes off on one in verse 4 a little bit, and he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. He elaborates on that point. What a picture of Christian warmth between John and Gaius. Gaius. His love for the whole person, expressing itself in a desire to see him face to face, and a warmth which produces an almost inexpressible joy Great joy. It's a little snapshot of Christian friendship. How are your 
Christian friendships. Do they look anything like this? What could change? Do we need to say to people that we're going to pray for them? And do we need to actually pray for them like John does for Gaius? Do we need to have a concern for the whole person, soul and body? Do we need to spend more time face to face? Actually, you know, I think one of the great strengths of Christchurch Harpenden is its genuine and real warmth, one for the other. It really does characterize many of our friendships with each other. I was thinking about why that might be, and I think it might have something to do with the character of our last senior minister, Gareth Lewis, who redeployed, as he would put it, last October. I mean, as I was reading these verses, doesn't this just conjure up a picture of Gareth Lewis of old? Warmth, genuine interest, real passionate concern for other people. Let us not lose it here at Christchurch. That's the first thing. The first is this, that uh, Christian friendship involves genuine warmth for other people. The second is this, that Christian friendship involves prioritizing your friend's spiritual walk with Jesus, or their walk with Jesus. Prioritizing your friend's walk with Jesus. So we've seen warmth, and now we see walk. Because what was the specific thing that gave John great joy in verse 3? Well, it was to hear of Gaius' faithfulness to the truth, and hearing about how he has continued to walk in that truth. Just like John says in verse 4, he has no greater joy to hear that his children are walking in the truth. John's friendship with Gaius prioritizes his spiritual walk. And if you think about it, if you were, if you were studying this in an English lesson, okay, to those of you who are in school, if you're studying this in an English lesson, it's a bit of a surprising use of words, isn't it? Walk in the truth. How do you walk in truth? Truth is idea. Walking is something physical. It's a an action. We're used, aren't we, to confining truth to our our minds, brain activity, stuff to think about and and believe. Whereas this truth that John talks about here is a truth that's to be walked in, to change the whole direction of someone's life, to live it out. And actually, that's what the Bible as a whole understands by truth, isn't it? Truth is a a heart thing, not just a, a head thing. It's a a lived thing. It's not just a learnt thing. It's not just about talking the talk, if you like, but about walking the walk, putting it into practice, having a life which lives out the truth which a person claims to believe in. This has clearly always been something that's important in the Christian life, but perhaps never more so than today. For it's been said that 21st century person, man or woman, looks at the Christian and says, I'm not so interested if it's true, first of all. I'm interested in whether it works. Does it make a difference to your life? Is it going to help me navigate this confusing world that I find myself in? The challenge to everybody, actually, no matter what they believe, is this, to be consistent with your belief. Because we all have beliefs. A secular person who doesn't believe in God has beliefs, background beliefs, that perhaps they're, they're not even particularly aware of, but they believe in something Firstly, that there is no God, perhaps. That's a belief, and they operate out of it. So the question is this, how consistent is someone in living that belief out? And when you live those beliefs out, do they work in the real world? Well, Christian truth, with a capital T, found in Jesus, is truth that's to be lived out, to be walked out. 
And when you walk it out, it works out. It makes a difference. It's obviously life-affirming. It brings great joy. How does this relate to friendship? Well, look at the end of verse 8. There we see John the Elder encouraging Gaius that they might work together for the truth, the truth. So truth is something objective and universal. The truth is for everyone, not just for one person. You know, it's uh, common today, and maybe you've heard this, for people to talk about their truth, my truth. I'm living my truth. And by that, they mean their experience of the world. But the Bible's understanding is this, that there is only one truth. And he actually has a name. His name is Jesus. The one who said, I am the way and the life and the truth. Jesus. And the truth about Jesus and the truth that Jesus revealed about God and the way to an eternity with him is the truth which will, if we let it, turn our lives upside down and change our destination from hell to heaven. Because this truth isn't something to be learnt, it's something to be lived. It's not about your head knowledge, it's about the direction of your whole life. And because it's an objective, universal truth with a capital T for everybody, it means that Christians can walk in this, in this truth together, in friendship. If it was each to their own, each, truth, each person had their own truth, we couldn't walk together. But we can, because there is a truth with a capital T, a person, a man named Jesus, who unites us together. So we can take great joy when we hear of another believer who walks in this truth too, just like John does. Our lives may look different. Your walk will look different to mine, depending on your life circumstance, children or not, age, obstacles that come your way. But in every circumstance of life, the believer who is walking in the truth is earnestly to apply Jesus and his teaching to each and every part of their life and to encourage others as they do that, walking in the same truth together. I recently bumped into an old friend who I was at uni with and uh, who's lived a remarkable and self-sacrificial life in many ways of, of uh, gospel ministry and witness since. Uh, and she said to me, it's so good to see you, Phil. So encouraging. I hadn't seen it for about 12 years. And I was waiting for her to say, I'm so glad you're in ministry. And, oh, I've heard about your Bible teaching. Or, oh, I've, done, I've heard about this or that. How brilliant to see you're going to Bible college. Wow. But no, what she said was this. It's so encouraging to see you, Phil, because you're still a Christian. You're still a Christian. And I thought, yeah, that's right. That's the most encouraging thing, is it not? When we find somebody else who's still walking with Jesus still trying to apply him and his teaching to their life, still a Christian. John would echo that sentiment 100%. The greatest joy, he says, is not to hear how super-duper fancy all bells and whistles is Gaius' faith, but just to hear that Gaius, this dear friend, is still a Christian, is still walking in the truth, and it's enough for John to describe it as his greatest joy. I have no greater joy, he says. And this works too, doesn't it, for the Christian and their friends who are not yet Christians. I'm not being a good friend to my non-Christian buddies if I don't have spiritual priorities for them too. And that means telling them about Jesus. You see, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, 
as that friend who sticks closer than a brother. I'm not just being a bad minister. I'm actually being a bad person. I'm not being very loving if I don't tell you the truth about him. But there's only one way to heaven, and it's through him. You see, the Christian prioritized their friend's spiritual walk, whoever that friend is. Who could you encourage today to keep walking with Jesus? Quick text message, a kind word, or to draw closer to Jesus. Well, that's the second thing. Thirdly, this, that Christian friendship involves an open welcome to others. You know the feeling, okay? Especially young people, actually, if you're a teenager here, you know this feeling very well. You walk into a party or a room full of people, and everybody's in huddles, okay? Their backs are turned to you. They're all talking. And you don't know where to go and who to talk to. There's no opportunity to break in. It's awkward, and you feel it. You feel it deep inside you. It's not a nice feeling, is it? Many of us still have that feeling when we walk into a work meeting or a big conference venue or something like that. Well, John makes it quite clear that he celebrates the opposite type of person and friendship. Not a friendship turned in on itself, but a friendship that's turned outwards towards others. Because John has a specific and particular action in mind which proves the genuineness of Gaius' faith. I wonder if you saw it. It's that Gaius welcomed other Christian believers. Look from verses 5 down to 7 with me. You see, Gaius has been faithful, John says in verse 5, in what he has done for the brothers and sisters. Or what is it that they have, he has done? Even though they are strangers to you, verse 5, uh, he has loved them, in verse 6. And uh, it was for the name, sake of the name they went out, receiving no help from the pagans, and yet J Gaius has received them. It would seem that these brothers and sisters, these fellow Christians, they're missionaries or traveling preachers of some kind. Uh, John tells guys, doesn't he, to send them on their way in a manner that honors God in verse 6. He tells guys that it was for the sake of the name that they went out in verse 7. So these Christians, whoever they are, have gone out in faith and dependence on God to share the name of Jesus. Unsurprisingly, they haven't received any help, the end of verse 7, from the pagans, from those who don't believe in Christ. And so, John says to Gaius, it's right and fitting that Christians ought to show hospitality to such people. And that is exactly what Gaius has done. You see, he has opened out to others and welcomed them. People he didn't know, strangers. Strangers working for the gospel, straining with all their might to love and serve others. This is in contrast to what we've seen in 2 John last week. The church is warned not to welcome those who, who don't teach the truth. And we'll see another contrast next week with uh, the two Ds, Diotrephes and, and Demetrius, uh, next week too. Uh, but for now, John is writing to Gaius and he is encouraging him. And he's saying, I've heard of what you've done. And what you've done is beautiful and wonderful. You have opened your arms to strangers, people who have gone to share the name of Jesus, and you have welcomed them in. A genuine, open-armed, welcome-to-our-lives kind of hospitality. I think it's important to note that hospitality and welcome to the stranger isn't an optional extra for the Christian. It's a natural outworking of the gospel, of walking in the truth. If you walk in the truth, you will be hospitable to other believers. 
It's actually the imperative of these verses. We've, we've read, isn't it? Imperative means the thing we ought to do. And John actually says that, doesn't he? Verse 8, we ought, he widens it. He's not just talking to Gaius now. We ought, all of us, therefore, to show hospitality to such people that we may work together for the truth. Many of us are very good at this, constantly having people around for meals, families staying for extended periods of time, lodgers when people are in need, whatever. I was really encouraged recently when some YWAMers who came over for a couple of months uh, were picked up by an older couple in our church and they were taken out for meals, taken round to their house for coffees. Real genuine warmth and hospitality. It's a beautiful thing to see. But perhaps for the rest of us, such gifting, for that is what it is, can have the unintentional effect of putting us off. We just can't do that for whatever reason. You're using all your bedrooms. The house isn't big enough. Your work schedule is too hectic. And yet, hospitality is something that all Christians are called to. Now, I'd love to say more about this, and maybe I'll get a bit, a bit of a chance next week. Um, there's a book which I meant to bring, but I've left it at home, called Extraordinary Hospitality by Carolyn Lacey. I can really recommend it, because what it does is it explodes a lot of the stereotypes around hospitality. We tend to think hospitality means silver dining set, lovely meal, roast. It doesn't have to be that. It doesn't have to be that. It can be much simpler than that. And so I'd encourage us, each of us to think, how can we welcome other Christians? And if that's a walk in the park, it's a walk in the park. If that's something else, more uh, intensive or more costly, it's something else. I'll bring that book next week uh, and we can think more about it then, perhaps. But there's our three things. Christian friendship involves genuine warmth, it involves prioritizing our friend's spiritual need, and it involves an open welcome to others. Well, wouldn't you like to have a friend like Gaius? Wouldn't you? His warmth, his walk, his welcome? I would. Well, as we close, let me say this. The best way to get a friend like Gaius is to be a friend like Gaius. To be that person who is warm, who lets the, the kind of British stiff up a lip down a little bit and shows some genuine warmth and affection for others. Who walks in the truth and encourages others to do that too. Who welcomes others. And if you do that, very quickly you'll find others who are doing the same. And as you walk the Christian life together, you will draw deep encouragement from each lover's lives of faith as God sustains you by his grace. And actually, it's not just a case, isn't it, of wouldn't you like a friend like Gaius? It's you need a friend like Gaius. And do you have one? But remember this. Your Christian friends, even Gaius, would let you down. But as we began our service today thinking about Jesus is the friend who sticks closer than a brother. Think about it. It was Jesus who said to his disciples, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. It was Jesus who wept over the tomb of his friend, Lazarus, before raising him back to life. It was Jesus who sweat drops of blood in the garden. For who? For you, his friends. Warmth. 
more than that. It was Jesus who constantly had spiritual priorities for the people he met. Think of the paralyzed man. He heals his sins before he heals his legs, or forgives his sins, sorry, before he heals his legs. He actually is always warning people that he meets of eternal consequences the way they're living, of hell. The most loving man speaking the most about an eternity without God. It's striking. It's Jesus who bled and died on the cruel Roman cross, forgoing any earthly comfort for spiritual priorities. What an encourager of a Christian walk. And more than that, it was Jesus who opened his arms wide to the little children and said, let the little children come to me, for to such belong the kingdom of God. It was Jesus who stood on a hill above Jerusalem and looked down and said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you to my side like a mother hen gathers her chicks. It was Jesus who welcomed the leper and the outcast, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the sinners to his side. It was Jesus who even would welcome the man who denied him three times, his rock, Peter, and who after his resurrection, he restored with great power. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I know, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Welcome even to those who denied him. You see, Jesus is the friend we all really need. Will we cling to him? If we already know him, will we be a friend like him to others? If you don't yet know him, would you ask him to be your friend? He will never, ever let you down. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for the warm friendship of John and Gaius and for all we can learn from looking at it this morning. But we thank you above and beyond that for the love and welcome, the warmth and the spiritual priorities of Jesus, that he is the friend who draws closer than a brother to us, if we'll let him. And we pray that you may help us this morning to draw close to him in faith. For we ask it in his name. Amen.